doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. If they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking, it's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy looking being. sister team Joe and Jen Shortridge of the 222 Paranormal Podcast with us tonight. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how they got into this, what the impetus was for them to start delving into the paranormal. And then we're going to get to the crux of the matter, which is talking about something that I've been wanting to do a show about. Um, There are some other podcasts out there who tend to hit this topic pretty regularly. But it's always from the standpoint of a religious perspective. It always has something to do with the pre-flood Bible. It always has something to do with the Nephilim and the Watchers and the Fallen Ones. And That's not what I'm after. I want to talk about the giant skeletons, the serpent mounds in Northern America. The over 200 years worth of newspaper reports across this country that have detailed some 400 discoveries of skeletons ranging from the high six foot ranges, six, eight, six, nine, into the seven, eight, nine foot ranges, I believe in Ohio, a couple of them were found. And let's get to the bottom of it. Let's, uh, let's find out what is going on and why these skeletons are no longer available for the public to view. So if you would, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Joe and Jen Shortridge of 222 Paranormal Podcast. Thanks, guys, for being with us tonight. Hello. Hey, thanks, Eric, for having us on. We really appreciate being here. 
This is awesome. We uh, we met uh, just about a year ago uh, yeah. at the Michigan Big, Bigfoot Conference last July, and you guys were nice enough to call me over to your table, and we did a nice interview, which was a blast. I had an absolute great time, um, and I've just been trying to figure out the right context to have a show with you guys. You know, I didn't want to piggyback right off the mm-hmm. bat with that. And, you know, when Joe, you, you posted a, um, a Facebook post not too long ago, maybe a week ago that said that you were available for podcast shows as, as, as an interviewee. Yeah. And, uh, you, you hit it. You, you listed some of the things that you have been very knowledgeable about. And I believe the last one was the giant skeletons. And I was yeah. like, there it is. Finally, <laughs> finally, we got it. So. Well, I, I am like really intrigued of giant skeletons, the mounds, the, the native American mounds, the, culture of mounds and other artifacts that have been found in Ohio. And, you know, going along with the giants, when me and Jen were doing a show on the giants, I found out that not even four miles from my house, a pair of giants skeletons were found that they said the jawbone was so big that it would fit over a normal human's head. Really? And this was the one with the double rows of teeth. What was her name? Was <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> now I, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I have to address my, my listeners here for a minute. Um, typically you are used to a, a very, um, not a lot of humor in, in my show. Um, we take things very seriously here, but for whatever reason, when I get around these two, our our humor seems to uh, take take front seat, so please bear with us. Um, there yeah. may be some things that are said that might be a slightly inappropriate, and uh, you never know. So not for um, me, Jen does that. We like to I turn into like a twelve year old when I get around Eric. We're like talking about farts and giant skeletons and all that good stuff. But we take everything we do very seriously. But you know, you got to have fun. Yeah. You gotta have fun. You know, yeah. and we just did a, we just did uh what was that? Uh, a week ago, the paranormal podcasters unite. Yeah. And, uh, that was uh, you guys and myself and a couple other podcasts that, uh, we sat around and I thought it was a really nice, diverse group. You know, each one of our shows we're we're under the, um, under the umbrella of paranormal, but our shows are all so distinctly different. And yeah. I mean, there's mm-hmm. something for everyone. And that's what, you know, lots of times we do, as you mentioned, we do tons of conferences. Me and Jen are on the road probably, what, five months out of the, or five months out of the year, we're on the road. And we go to a lot of these conventions and a lot of the conventions say, oh, you're a podcast. Well, we already have a podcast there. We don't want you to have any competition. I said, listen, there's no competition because everybody is different. That's right. Everybody has their own opinions and having that mixture of opinions is what makes it so great. And we go to the shows and people are like, oh my God, 222 is here. You know, the 222 Paranormal Podcast is here. And the other podcasters come up and go, oh my God, we're so glad you're here. And I'm like, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> you know? It's like, 
like when we met you. Yeah. You know, I was like, cool, another podcast, let's talk. Yeah. Well, There's so all, that's the, the same yeah. thing with the paranormal teams and everything that are there. We love just to talk to people and share stories. Well, like you said, I mean, there's, there's so much out there to talk about. There's so many, you know, we were even talking about one of the subjects before we, we started recording and we're not going to get into that, but, um, you know, there's so many, so many topics to talk about so many different, uh, rabbit holes that, that we go down, you know, throughout any given week that there's just, you know, the more people you hear talking about it, the more perspectives, the more personalities that you hear, uh, attacking these subjects, whether it's uh, it might be one statement that you get out of a different podcaster that is like, oh shit, that makes a lot of sense. I've never thought about that before, and uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, as long as the the listener, if the the personalities of the the host or the co-hosts uh, uh, agree with them, and you know, the, the the one thing about podcasts now. And I've got a friend of mine that listens to mine on a regular basis. And she swears up and down that she's not being biased. Bias? But mm-hmm. she says my show is one of her absolute favorites. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm always like, yeah, 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 whatever. And she's like, no, okay, honestly. Mom. And, you know, I've asked That's her. Your mom? <laughs> no. <laughs> and, I've, and I've asked her why. And she's like, because you just have an honest conversation. You don't seem to have any kind of agenda when you talk to your hosts or your your guests. You're not trying to lead them into saying what you want them to say. And, you know, I had to think about it for a second. It's like, you know, I, I mean, I guess that's just the way, you know, I'm, I'm open to talking about whatever you want to talk about. I'm well enough versed in in a lot of the things that I can carry on a an intelligent conversation with it but if you want to talk yourself into a corner like I said before we started recording I'll let you talk yourself into a corner I'm not going to be rude I'm not going to be judgmental but if you want if you want to if you want to talk yourself into a corner you know I'll let my listeners be the ones to determine whether or not they think what you're saying is true or not. So, um, but listen, before we get too far into the skeleton stuff, the, uh, the giants, let's talk a minute for about how you guys got into doing what you're doing. Now you guys do a lot of investigation as well as going to a lot of conferences, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, back when we started seven years ago, Joe was really into podcasting. It was podcasts were kind of emerging at that time and it was really starting to grow. And I was just really getting into ghost hunting. It was like, I've always been into mystery and, and, um, intrigue and ghosts and Bigfoot and aliens. And I, you know, started this passion when I was little, my dad, had a UFO experience. He always believed in Bigfoot. He watched In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. We would go to the library and I would get books on, you know, whatever topic it was. You know, this is dating myself, right? We had to go to the library to get a book on the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, Joe and I were just, he was like, hey, you know, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm like, what's well, a podcast? And he's like, uh, you know, it's like an online 
discussion. I'm like, okay. And he's like, well, you're really into ghost hunting. And at that time I, I was like, yeah, I was really getting into it. And, and just um, feeling my way around some of the haunted locations. And he's like, we should do a podcast. I'm like, okay, I don't know what it is, but let's do it. And um, so, you know, we did the first episode in my basement where I'm at right now. And um, it was just, it just meshed. Like we just decided that we could do this every week um, we wanted to talk about haunted locations. We wanted to talk about strange and unusual things that, you know, maybe people have covered before or maybe they haven't heard of. Um, you know, we did a lot of shows about different haunted locations like Haunted Hollywood, where I used to live, Haunted Chicago, where we've ghost hunted. Um, you know, The Ghost Ships of the Great Lakes is one of my favorite shows that we've done. Um, but there's just always something new and something different to talk about and you know it just started from there and we've never missed a show even when i had covid or was on death's door so that's uh, still that's still intact huh you have yeah. not missed yep. a show even and when i have seven broke. years yep because <laughs> i remember every week i remember last year uh, at the michigan bigfoot conference i think joe i think you said it that you had been six years straight without missing a show and now yeah. you, that, that's, that's, that's dedication. I'm telling crap, you. Man. And we, we technically haven't copied a, a topic either. I mean, granted, we just did with our interview with Stanton Freeman for the that was Roswell anniversary. You, you guys lucked out on that one, man. Jeez. Oh my God. He was sitting across from us at Michigan Paracon and we were like, Hey, you want to be on our show? And he's like, when? I'm like, I don't know right now. He's like, Okay. I'm like, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. So it was totally fangirling out over Stan Freeman. I'm like, I had no clue who he is. I just thought he was a cute old grandpa, right? <laughs> you you didn't know who he was? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Joe's like, that's Stan Freeman. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I listened to Google very quickly. I listened Tell to him that, what last, you call it. that last Tell week, him. and I was very envious that you guys got to talk yeah. with him. Jen, tell yeah. Eric what you call him. Um, I can't remember my little Stanny. <laughs> Uncle Stan. <laughs> Uncle Stanny. Oh, my God. He was so sweet and so kind. And I think he understood that we were not intelligent, and he was. <laughs> and he just was, like, answering all our questions, even though we were stumbling over our words. But, no, he, he was an amazing, very, very sweet person, and it was a really tragic loss, um, you know, him coming from a conference. Yeah. Yeah. Dying in the airport. Yeah. So anyways, but no, you know, we just, we, it was just like kismet. Like it just all fell in line of like what I was ghost hunting and Joe was podcasting and we just put the two together. We didn't know what we were doing really. I mean, we just winged it and learned as we went you know we uh we made a lot of mistakes if you go back and look listen to our early shows they're crazy but good right like because we had no fear we we're just like we're just doing this yeah right we didn't, we didn't have an agenda we didn't have like okay this is our master plan for the next seven years like no we want to talk <laughs> about ghosts and stuff which, right we want to is... talk about like weird stuff which is completely the opposite of how I attacked it. When I decided mm -hmm. that I was going to do it, you know, I had listened to a lot of podcasts and there were some really good podcasts, not necessarily the whole 
season or all other shows, but there were some very good shows, but their mm-hmm. sound quality was complete shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where mm-hmm. I realized that no matter how interesting the topic you're talking about, no matter how cool it is, no matter how um, underdiscovered it is, people are going to turn you off if your audio is bad. Sure. That's why when we were getting into it, I made sure that I did a little bit of research into microphones and stuff Mm -hmm. because. And editing. Yeah, we were interviewed by people using their phone and just posting it, not editing or nothing. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I don't want to be on your show if you're going to do that because I, I mean, they have listeners and I respect their listeners and to have a, phone with and this happened to us we 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 were interviewed by somebody and it was so loud in the convention we were in that i couldn't even hear what the person on the other end of the phone was saying so i was just making stuff up and hoping (laughs) that i was answering the right questions because i couldn't hear and i'm like you can't you gotta your listeners have you in their ears and if you have all this noise going into their ears like you said they're just going to shut off because no matter how smart you are well, if you got screen like, you know. And and to to piggyback on that as a podcaster, I owe my guest who is going to forward that show to their friends that don't mm-hmm. listen to me. I owe that guest to be to provide them a platform in in the best quality that I can. Yeah. For yeah. them. For them, because, you know, no matter who it is, you know, somebody's going to be excited about being on a podcast or they might want to post it to their group's uh, Facebook page. You know, hey, guys, uh, got a chance to speak with so-and-so here. Check it out. This is episode I did. You know, whatever it may be, you owe that to the people that you have on your show to produce something that is high, as high a quality as you can. You know, and that's right. that's why I did just what you did, Joe. I researched and I looked into what microphones were going to be best and what my best opportunity for getting a good, crisp, clean recording. How can I import mm-hmm. telephone calls and have them sound good? You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a, it's a matter of, you know, y- you got to put the time in, you got to put the work into it. And, yep. and, and having good content too. You know, I've listened to podcasts where every other word is a curse word mm-hmm. and there's no, it's all fluff and no content. Right. I, you know, I want to hear, about the the ghost story of the haunted location or the history of you know whatever topic it is i don't want to just hear a bunch of people laughing and giggling and and saying the f word every other minute that to me will turn me off in a minute right like i want to be entertained and my time is precious so if i'm giving you 15 minutes or 30 minutes i want to learn something I want to hear something I never heard before. I want to be scared or I want to be intrigued. Um, I want to come back for more. I want to hear your next episode. So, you know, like we always are of the mind that we want to give good, solid, truthful sometimes information. Um, You know, um, I've been on or listened to other podcasts where they're just making shit up. Like, Oops, sorry. Can I cuss on here? Yeah, you can. It's absolutely okay, fine. Sorry. <laughs> Apologize if we can't. We'll bleep it out. No, you're fine. Um, 
you know, so I, you know, I, I like to give a little bit of history and background. Um, not just say this ghost showed up on this day and it was really scary and everybody got it on their phone and then there was some dust and orbs. No, I, you know, like Joe and I, we like to do our research, which is a lot of work. I'm sure you find that too. You know, you, when you're doing a weekly show, you've got to come up with content. You've got to do your research. You've got to do your outline. You've got to have a good flow to your show and, and keep people entertained or they're not going to come back. Well, you know, I just I, recommend you either. Yeah, I just did a show. Um, uh, I think the gentleman came up to me when I was emceeing the town hall at West Branch back mm-hmm. in May. He came up to me. He said he and his daughter had both had an experience where they saw this unusual-looking four-legged creature. He had been very up close and personal with it. Um, didn't look like a dog, didn't look like a fox, didn't look like anything that he really recognized. And then sometime later, she had seen, like, the identical creature crossing in front of her car during a nighttime drive down this one road. And, you know, we we got into it, and I think the show will air before this, so I don't think spoilers are a big deal. Um, But, you know... It was a misidentification. He actually was under the possible guise that this was a chupacabra in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you do a real quick Google search back in 05 <laughs> and 2015, both there were articles in Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti about a possible chupacabra in those areas Mm -hmm. and there were some photographs and it was an odd looking creature. It didn't look, it didn't look particularly healthy. And, you know, I mean, it was obviously some sort of a a fox or um, with mange and, you know, it it was, Mm -hmm. so I talked to the gentleman about it and he was, he was a very pleasant guest and, you know, I felt kind of bad after, talking with him because after that, you know, I started looking into it and I'm like, I I think this guy was just, you know, mistaken identity. And then he had forwarded on to his daughter. So she got a hold of me and she wanted to tell her story and very similar circumstances. And during the course of the conversation, I had sent her a couple of pictures, (coughs) excuse me. And she goes, yeah, that's really, really similar. Well, it wound up being a, a maned wolf. Um, which aren't necessarily natural to that area, but there are several wolf breeders in that area and God knows what, you know, they have on their, on their farms that they're, they're breeding. So, um, but you know, so I was kind of like, do I hear this or don't I? Because, you know, it's, it's really, you know, what am I going to name it? Chupacabra in Michigan. And but yet, you know, at the end of it, the reveal is that it wasn't a Chupacabra and it was just a misidentification. So I was like, yeah, crap, you know, this is kind of, I'm not, I'm not going to really be able to release this. And then I just, I'm like, so any other kind of weird experiences to the, to the daughter? And she's like, yeah, I can't believe my dad didn't tell you about all the ghost stuff that we used to go out. And and I'm like, what? (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, she went on for another 40 minutes 
about some really interesting ghosty shit that was happening out in the woods and at a an abandoned house that was down the road from them. So, it, you know, it started off with being something that was a very nice conversation, but it really didn't turn into much. And then, you know, lo and behold, he didn't, because I was at a cryptid convention, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't think to talk to me about the ghost stuff that they had going on. He just thought he may have saw a cryptid. And, you know, so thankfully the daughter brought it up and it wound up, I thought, saved the show and, and made it really <laughs> enjoyable. So, yeah. And Sometimes that's the thing. You, gotta dig. you know, you got to dig with yeah. people. They, they don't really remember or recall these situations until you really start opening it up. Cause you know, a lot of people just put it in the back of their mind for a long time. They don't want to talk about it or they're not sure what they saw. We've, we've experienced that many times. Well, the other convention. night when the other night, when we were talking with the other guys on the panel, um, Justin mm-hmm. from cryptids of the corn, he said this and I've, I've had exactly this happen where you have somebody that walks up to you and is like, hmm, so you believe in this crap? And it's like, well, yeah, actually yeah. I do. You know, there's a lot of things that point to it really being a, an actual thing. And they're like, oh, well, I had a couple of experiences. Yeah. You know, and it's like they're trying to feel you out, you know, see if you're on the up and up about really actually mm-hmm. believing it or if you're going to, you know, ambush yeah, them and make, make fun, fun of them. Enough. Yeah, right. we get that all the time at when because you know, like I, I'm always wearing the two 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 shirt, and Jen's wearing her two 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 shirt, and we'll go to restaurants. Even you know, on our way to conventions, we'll stop at a restaurant, and there'll be people that are oh paranormal stuff. You guys must be devil worshippers or something, and they like I don't believe in that stuff. And like okay, <laughs> but you know, I had this one time. Holy <laughs> spirit got me. They always have a story where I sprouted a tail and blew fire out my ass. Yeah. But everybody has a story. I mean, the paranormal is not just ghosts and not just Bigfoot. It's, it's anything that's not normal. Right. Right. But what is normal? We don't know. And that's another thing too is paranormal. (laughs) Right. You know, the more we dig into this, the less we actually know. I mean, it's like the rabbit hole after rabbit hole after you go down so many different paths. The only thing that I love it. The only thing that has become more clear to me since doing this show is that there is a thread that runs through all of it. There are, there are similarities. There are, synchronicities which is getting overused and yeah, some people are even like gagging at the sound of somebody saying that word but there there i've i've found that there is a a common thread that runs through all of this stuff and that to me is becoming uniquely more interesting the further i go with this do you guys find that as well mm-hmm. oh definitely Absolutely. yeah for sure um, I'll go ahead, Jen. Sorry. sorry. No, you go. You go. No, I was just, just going to say the same thing where there's just so many, like, like Bigfoot encounters. People that have had Bigfoot encounters end up having poltergeist activity in their homes. They end up seeing UFOs more. It, It's all connected. Yeah. And we've had story after story after story where somebody's walking through the woods and they think they saw Bigfoot. 
and then they see a blue orb flying above them or they have poltergeist activity start happening in their house. Or a time slip. Yeah. Let me ask you guys. All right. So you guys have experienced things as well. Mm-hmm. Have, have either of you, and this is going to sound really stupid, and I, I question even whether I should say this, but, say it. but it actually <laughs> it actually happened, and it still kind of freaks me out a little bit. Have either of you, like, witnessed, like, what you would consider maybe, like, a glitch? In, you mm-hmm. know, I, I'm going to say a glitch in the Matrix. I don't really yeah. mean to say that yeah. we live in a Matrix, but... Oh. I had one thing that happened to me that I still am, I don't want to say freaking out about, or it just confuses me is I did an event down in Cincinnati with Miranda Young, the ghost biker. Mm-hmm. She was at a Hardy Davidson dealership down in Cincinnati, which is a three and a half hour drive from my house. I left that event, got home and looked at the clock and I was, it was only two hours. How did I get, I'm now, I know the traffic was good and all that, but I mean, it took me two hours to get home for a two and a half hour or a three and a half hour trip. I left the dealership at like four o'clock and got home at six. Wow. And I don't know how I did it. Now it could have been that traffic was just perfect and all that, but still that to this day, I'm like, I always say, I, I don't know how I got home that fast. That's funky. You know? So I'm not saying it's a time slip or anything like that. It's just how did it happen? Yeah. What about you, Jen? Um, well, I've had weird, like, deja vu type things happen. I've had um, kind of prediction type things happen. I remember one time I was at my mom and dad's house, and I was standing on the kitchen counter. I think we were painting I think we were painting the kitchen. For some reason, I was standing on the standing on the kitchen counter, and I was like, "There's going to be a plane crash. There's going to be a plane crash. I got to get down. I got to get down." And I was like, "It was the weirdest thing because something like that had never happened to me." And I got off the counter. I'm like, "I don't know what's going on." The next day, um, there was a I don't know, like I couldn't even tell you what airline, but it was a giant plane crash in Iran. And like 300, 200, 300 people died. Weird. Like, I don't know. You know, my things aren't really like time slips. They're like deja vu. They're like, I'll dream about something and then it'll happen. I've had weird, like I just had something very strange happen to my house. Now I've had activity in my house for a long time. It's kind of lightened up lately, I think a lot, a lot of it stems from when we do go ghost hunting. Seem to have activity after that. But I had like a matrixy or uh, what's the I want the word for it? Um, predator effect. You know how you had like that shimmery mm-hmm. like effect in that movie where in, he's in the tree. Yeah. I had that happen in my living room, which is really odd because I was sitting there watching TV and it wasn't quite dark yet. But I saw something walk in front of my TV, and it was that type of, like, weird, clear. Clear pixelation. Yeah. And it was like, and it was weird because it wasn't just in front of the TV. It was, like, from the top of the TV down to almost the carpet. Huh. I can't explain that. Like, that's really odd. That's <laughs> thing. strange. Yeah. 
I had, had, uh, this was two summers ago. I was driving to somewhere out. We've got a kind of a main strip where the mall and all the popular food places and stuff are. And I was going through the back roads. I got to the one intersection. I made a right-hand turn or left-hand turn. And as I made the left-hand turn, out the left side of my car window, I saw a a jet coming in. Now, I'm not maybe seven miles away from South Bend Regional Airport at this time. So where I was at is well within the, the traffic of, of planes. But when I looked out the side window, I saw this, it was, it was, um, kind of like a Marine blue white, and then it had orange stripe on it, but the orange was on an odd stripe. It was, a like the orange, the orangish yellowish that, that was on the Miami Dolphins um, football uniforms. That okay. that odd pastelish looking, and, and never liked that color. And that's the only <laughs> thing I can really think of that reminded me of the color of it. And you know, I didn't recognize the airline. It's not like I sit at the airport and you know check out jets all the time, but I didn't recognize the the airline. But it was remarkably low for where it was at in relation to still being like seven miles away from the airport. And it was, it was, it was kind of jarring. It was like, holy shit. And, but I'll be goddamn, it wasn't moving. Huh? And so the road that I was on is, is Edison road. And at times it can be very highly trafficked. This time it was not that bad. And you can park on the side of, of that road. Because it's kind of a, it's coming out of an, uh, a commercialized zone going into a neighborhood, but the neighborhood runs along the side of the, the road. So I, I immediately looked in my rearview mirror. Nobody was behind me, so I pulled off to the side of the road. So I had maybe gone 300 feet, maybe 400 feet from the time I saw it. I pulled over and I immediately stopped, put my car in the park. Couldn't have been... 30 seconds and I stopped and I turned myself. I even like grabbed the steering wheel so I could turn even further back and there was nothing. You couldn't see the the tail of it. You couldn't see it continuing on over um, the direction would have been going directly over the university of Notre Dame. You couldn't see that. (laughs) You couldn't see anything. But the thing that the thing that struck me was the first thing was obviously it wasn't moving. And the second thing was that it was, it wasn't, it didn't look right. It looked like a, it, it looked real. So when I say it looked cartoonish, I mean cartoonish mm-hmm. only in proportions. Yeah. It, it looked a little too mm-hmm. short. It looked a little too fat. It looked a little too, um, Almost like if you made a, a big uh, Thanksgiving Day blimp yeah, mm-hmm. out of, you know, that would be an airplane. That's mm-hmm. what it looked like. And it wasn't moving. Wow. 
and I couldn't see it. So I, you know, I immediately got back on the road. I went around the back street, came around, did a, um, a loop around to where I seen it again. Just thinking that, you know, maybe this was some kind of a, an advertisement balloon that was up in the air and they had brought it back down. So but there was literally nothing there, but it, it wasn't moving. The proportions didn't look right. The colors were funky. And, you know, I got done with it and I called my kid and I was like, I know you're going to think I sound nuts, but this, <laughs> I think, I think yeah. I just, I think I just saw a glitch because yeah. You know, it was, it was large. It was very large, but I don't think it was as big as a, a full on real life jet. Yeah. And it was just, it was funky proportions and man, it was just the weirdest damn thing. And I, I can't get it out of my head. Yeah. Is it possible that it could have been a UFO cloaked as a plane? I have no idea. Yeah. You know, this was, this was middle of the day. Mm-hmm. It was a summer summer day. Had the window down. Uh, don't recall. Don't recall hearing any um, engine noise, like yeah. a, a jet going over. Mm-hmm. Um, and for as low as it was, my God. Yeah. I mean, for, for as, low, heard it, as low as it was, you would have heard something, and it yeah. would have it would have been scraping the bottom, or the, the it would have been scraping the bottom of the jet on on the tops of the trees, mm-hmm. for where it was at. <gasps> It was just so strange. And I was like, yeah, that's crazy. It's weird when you question yourself when you have those experiences. Cause like, you know, there's been times where I see something out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, did I really just see that? Yeah. Or, you know, like I have a lot of like weird, like seeing things, thinking somebody's standing on the side of the highway. And now I drive on the highway every single day. I put, over a hundred miles a day on my car. So, you know, like sometimes I'll just be going and kind of an autopilot. All of a sudden I swear I see somebody standing there and I look and I look again, there's nobody there. Mm -hmm. It's just odd, you know, like, okay, am I losing my marbles or did I really see something? You know, it's like you start questioning yourself, you know, am I stressed out? Is it anxiety? Is it, you know, COVID related, so, you know, I had weird stuff happen because they had COVID too, you know, like, I don't know. And like it's, the other day. is it almost like, uh, some of these entities that we try to talk to at the ghost hunts, you know, are they popping up randomly just so you can get through or see them? I've heard of that too. You know, I mean, yeah. I've had the same thing like you were saying, or all of a sudden you look over and you think you see someone and you're like, crap. And they're, nope, they're not there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They say we see a lot of things in our peripheral vision and, um, it's to say it isn't there and we just can't see it straight on. Exactly. You know, like, uh, shadow figures. We were standing in Jen's house one day and we're just talking. I don't know why we were standing talking, but you know, we're standing there and a shadow figure went right in between us and both of us were like, what the heck was that? It was the weirdest thing. It came out of the back bedroom, down the hallway, which is a very short hallway. Joe was like, I don't know, were you in the kitchen and I was in the dining room? I we're don't kind of in the doorway. Yeah. And it went, it was dark and it went right through us and went out the window. And we're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, my kids never- on a spring break might have been their 
senior year, junior and senior year, um, their mom took them down to Kentucky and they ended up talking their mom into going to Waverly Hills. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> we were there. My daughter, my daughter, just, <laughs> my daughter has a full on panic attack oh. before going in what? and she's, call, she's calling me and she's like, dad, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. And I was like, well, sweetheart, then, you know, don't do it. I mean, don't put yourself through something you're not ready to deal with, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so she ends up, she gets the nerve, she goes in, um, and at, at one point they're, they're going down a hallway. I, I think this was, this was either on the first or third floor. I don't remember. And, um, so whoever's running the group says, you know, if anybody want, wants to walk down the, the hallway, um, to get away from the group and kind of just see, sense what you can sense. So my son said, yeah, I'll go. Um, and my daughter was going to go with him and she was like, nope, can't do it. Can't do it. Nope. Nope. So she moved to the back of the group and some <laughs> other, some other lady that was in the group says, I'll go down there with you. So my daughter relays to me, she's like, I'm watching my brother and this, this guy, this other lady walk down the hallway. And because of the ambient light, she could see their silhouettes. And when they got down to about where they were going to stop and they kind of parted, the lady went to lean up against the left side wall of the hallway. And my son leaned up against the right side hall wall. My daughter said there was a third silhouette oh, that, cool. con that yeah. continued walking like split right down the middle continued walking down the hallway after those two had, had veered off to either the, the respective sides of the walls. So yeah, shadow figures, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get into why we got you here. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about the damn giants. Let's get into the giants. Let's do it. So, so we, we need a signal. We need a signal when we're talking <laughs> in a different room. Because Jen's wow, that's, that's the signal. That is not <laughs> <Wow>. the signal. <laughs> wow. I one. <laughs> one. Um yeah, so you know, like this is something that Joe's really been interested in. He's been studying it for a very long time. Um it's interesting, you know, it's kind of sparked with um, me doing an article for Hannah Toledo. I had unearthed the story that was in the Toledo Gazette back in the earliest, I don't know, I'm thinking it was in the late 1800s, maybe. There was a tiny snippet article that they had found giant skeleton when they were digging up the high-level bridge. Now, the high-level bridge is a, at the time, and I believe it was 1895, one of the, like, masteries of bridges. It's a suspension bridge. It was over the Maumee River, which is, what do you say, Joe? Is that maybe 100 yards across at that point? Yeah, or that. Yeah. And when they were digging, digging out the pylons, along the banks of the Maumee River, which was once the Great Black Swamp, they found or dug out this mound, and in that mound they found a giant skeleton. 
Now, it's rumored that the Smithsonian had come along. Somebody had called the Smithsonian. They came and they took the bones away. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, that's always the rumor, right, with right, a lot yeah. of these skeleton yeah. stories. That the Smithsonian showed up and took them. Who knows? It could have been the government. It could have been scientists. It could have been somebody else, or it could have been rumor. We don't know. Um, now, was this around the, Miamisburg? No, no, this is in Toledo. So Toledo is on the border of uh, Michigan and Ohio. The Maumee River runs up through Ohio, out to the Great Lakes, which, you know, eventually goes out into the ocean. Um, So when they were digging out this pylon, they found this giant skeleton. Now, it was rumored to be between eight and nine feet tall, a, a long or a large head so it was saying it was four or five times bigger than a normal human skull which is is very odd and then joe you had you know done some research about one that had a double row of teeth yeah Yeah. that was found right by the mouth of the mommy river uh where the right in between where the toledo yacht club and the um coast guard station is so that's that on was, the banks of Lake Erie? It's right at the mouth of the Maumee River into Lake Erie. Okay. Which is only from where high, the high-level bridge is to that is probably two miles. And then in Maumee, Ohio, on the island, they found another set of skeletons, but those had the six fingers and six toes. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, six fingers and six toes, as far as the giants are concerned, um, mm-hmm. that that tends to be a, a not super common, but a common trait associated yeah. with them. Um, mm-hmm. Red hair being found uh, with some of the remains tends to come up a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But again, when you start start down that road, and I'm not saying we can't go this way, we we absolutely can. Um, but then that always seems, no matter who's talking about, it, always seems to lead back to the pre-flood Bible uh, yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. The the double rows of teeth I've heard of, but doesn't sound it doesn't to me it hasn't been something that I've heard a lot of. Yeah is is that is that fairly common? It actually is. Is it? Yeah, um, a lot of the like the giants that were found in Aruba, they had double rows of teeth. Um, but giants really, now you got to remember too, when we talk about giants and I'll mention one about it, that we, they found in Newark, Ohio, but when you talk about giants, a lot of people think they're 30 foot tall, right, yeah. 20 foot tall. We're not talking about they're not. And okay. lots of times you see these pictures on the internet of them digging up a skull. That's the size of a house or whatever, you know, right. that's not giants. The giants we talk about are anywhere from six feet to nine feet more in the range of seven foot. And when we, when, when we say six foot to people listening, they're going to be like that six foot is common. That's not giant. Mm -hmm. But, but back in, in the 1800s, in in the 1700s, six foot was not something that was very common. No. And, Mm -hmm. and especially in Asian culture, where mm-hmm. where other some of these giants have been found, there's been some six two and six three um, giants that have been discovered in in Asian countries, 
which yeah. you know they're they're diminutive in in stature and that had been absolutely eye rolling when when somebody six foot or six foot plus walked by them yeah I do know that in Aruba is common for the giants of Aruba to be around seven feet tall. And there are still living ancestors of the giants. I know of somebody that's a local researcher and her grandmother was seven foot tall. Wow. So, you know, there, there's still giant. I mean, I was at the Woodville diner over here at, uh, in down in the East side and I'm in there eating and this guy gets up to leave and he had to duck like real far to get out of the building. <laughs> and I'm like, I got my phone out real quick and snapped a picture of him. He had been every bit of six and a half feet yeah. and he was large. And when I say large, he wasn't really fat. He was just big. And I'm like, that's a giant. Yeah. Now he didn't have the double rows of teeth or the six fingers, but you know, there's still, I believe, and I mean, you look at like Andre the Giant and all them people, you know, and granted they don't live that long, yeah. but they would be considered giants. But we're also talking about when we mentioned giants, a lot of it is the offshoot of the humans where they have the six fingers or they have double rows of teeth or they're just proportions are so large that it's almost like a subset of a human species. Now I, some years ago I did, uh, uh, I worked a second job and it was in it at, uh, at the high school where my kids were going to school and the, the director of it there at the school, my boss, he was six foot eight, mm-hmm. you know, I'm five, nine, uh, might've been five ten at one point in my life when I could stand up straight <laughs> and I didn't have bad back issues. Um, Man, standing next to somebody that's six foot eight, you know, and yeah. he and he was a, a a fairly normally proportioned guy, you know. I mean, but good Christ, that's yeah. a yeah. that's a big person. You yeah, know? you you always take note when you know, like you go by and you see somebody that's six nine. Some of these basketball players yeah. are ginormous. You look at Shaq. Um, you know, but it's interesting though because like we have so many reports in Ohio. For some reason, there's um, reports in Tiffin, Ohio. There was Springfield, Ohio. There was Tippecanoe, Ohio. Um, there was a report of um, in Springfield, Ohio, seven skeletons being buried. Now, they said that the skull was big enough to fit over a normal human's head, like as if they were wearing a helmet. Wow. So, you have to think about like if you have seven of these type of skeletons buried in one place and they were laid out in like a circular pattern that shows ritual. So that is to me, you know, my opinion, there had to been some type of clan or camaraderie or. Oh, you're you're talking like some sort of a a social structure. When you said ritual, I immediately jumped to, you know, something, uh, supernaturals but you're you're talking some societal structure to it correct right so like you know where exactly did these people come from and and why are you know are there still remnants of them like you know joe said 
you know, in Aruba, there's still people who are from that, that ancient race. Like, you know, what was it about this area that we have so many reports uh, of? Yeah. What is it? What, what is it about Ohio? Right. You know, like we have a ton of mounds here. Were these the original mound builders before the native Americans came here? Um, you know, many of their skeletons were found in the mounds. So, or did it have something to do with being along the shores of the Great Lakes? Mm-hmm. Do you think? Do you that think that they came from yeah. the ocean? You know, and eventually made their way through to the the Great Lakes. I believe it's so. Very possible. I mean, you know, that's a direct waterway from, you know, out in the open ocean. Easily, I mean, there's been reports of like you know, things found along the Ohio River, which is at the base of Ohio and, and runs along um, Virginia and Kentucky. Um, there's been, you know, strange things found along those lines. There were pirates that came up from the Caribbean and made their way into the bottom of Ohio. So, you know, any type of uh, migration or exploration is very possible. Um, how, you know, how, con- how congruent are the the serpent mounds with giants is, is that like a, when you talk one, you're talking the other a hundred percent of the time. Serpent mound is not a burial mound. It's an effigy mound. And um, we're actually, they say that the Indians built it or the native Americans, whatever you call them now. Um, The Adena culture. And they, we don't know. There's been mounds all over history. Um, there's actually, there actually was over 10,000 mounds in Ohio alone. Oh, no kidding. And if you look at a mound map, you'll notice that a lot of the mounds are in the Ohio, Pennsylvania Valley. And some are in Michigan. A lot of them are by the Mississippi. But I, I was hoping, I should have sent you the files, but I, I have a bunch of pictures of different mound maps and that but yeah in ohio alone there was over ten thousand mounds and majority of them are gone now but you know they it's even said that the indians say that they don't know who built the mounds but they did use them you know like we talked about miamisburg earlier when they started digging the top of miamisburg mound off they found tons of skeletons and they're all native american skeletons so the Native Americans definitely were using these mounds as burial mounds. But I believe that they didn't build them. I believe they just used them. So, like, you know, in, you, you brought up Miamisburg. And mm-hmm. uh, one, of the, one of the ones that comes to mind most frequently for me was, wasn't there a, it was like eight foot two, eight foot one and a half, something like that? skeleton removed from um miamisburg i really don't know that i think that was moundsville i think, it, I, think it, I think that was like in the late 1890s hmm. i um uh, i know moundsville they dug into that and found a lot of stuff in that and they actually made a doorway into it so that people could go in and look and i don't think it's there anymore but i know when they excavated that they did find a lot of artifacts in that mound and actually made it like a little museum inside there, but I don't think it's open like that anymore. 
No. So what but, are, what are some of the prevailing theories as far as you know? Let let's I'll give you a list of things that I want you to touch on. Um, you know the the whole thing about the Smithsonian that has been talked about so so much. Yeah. And you know is that is that an internet hoax? Is that something that has got any any meat to it, any substance to it? Um, and then you know are there are there scientific papers? Are there are there any things that we can turn to that actually show that these giant bones have existed mm-hmm. and they have been found. Yeah. They're just not readily open to public viewing. I just think that there I've talked to, and I've studied this for a long time and I've talked to a lot of people that all say when skeletons are found for some reason, the Smithsonian just shows up sort of like the men in black. Now, how do they know this? Are they monitoring them somehow, even though it was back in the 1800s? You know, and I think that really the only, I want to say credible, but you know how this goes. The only credible <laughs> witnesses that we have are the newspaper reports. And I know that there was a lot of sensationalism yeah. in the newspaper. Everybody and, was trying to sell papers back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I look at it as, yes, there were but there are so many accounts that some of them have to be true. And if just some of them are true, then they have to let people know, yes, this did happen. We came out, we took the bones. I mean, there's people that have, I guess, threatened, I don't know, to actually go to the Smithsonian and say, where are the bones? There are so many accounts where, Bones were found, and someone just showed up and took them. And they all say it was the Smithsonian, which it is or not, I don't know, but that's what everybody says. And I, it's sort of like, it's sort of like Bigfoot. Okay, there's so many accounts of Bigfoot over eight thousand years. I mean, there's they found a um, lamp. You call it? It's you know a lamp from China. Uh-huh that's supposed to be 8,000 years old that have depictions of Bigfoot on it. Now, was that Bigfoot or was that a giant or what? We don't know. But there's just so many cases of giant skeletons being found that some of them have to be true. Yeah. yeah. And there was a report in a, um, in a publication called Scientific American that bodies of several giants were um, buried under the 10 foot mound. So there, you know, there's these newspaper reports, but then there are, you know, scientific publications that are saying, yes, these stories were true. And I don't think they would risk their reputation on, on a rumor or, you know, it's not the uh, daily sun putting out the bat boy story. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had Bigfoot's um, baby. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. When we all know it, that I do, you know. Um, But, you know, there's just so many accounts. Now, one of my things that I've been really studying lately are the mound structures, who we thought made the mounds, in my belief, and different things that relate back to the giants. 
Um, one of the things that I talk about is the Newark Holy Stones. Okay. Now, in Newark, Ohio. Didn't those just get blown up down in Georgia? No. <laughs> the Georgia <laughs> Georgia Guidestones. Oh, okay. Um, so, back in the 1800s, in, uh, as my notes here, 1860, there was a man by the name of David Wyrick. He was a local, local surveyor of Newark, Ohio, and he was also an amateur archaeologist. Okay, and a lot of people gave him grief because they said, you're an amateur archaeologist. Well, who really was a professional back then? Yeah. You know, he found a stone that, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember where he found this. This was by the Great Circle Mound in Newark, Ohio. And he called it the Keystone. And you'll find, you know, if you go online, you'll see pictures of it. But. The weird thing about this stone was it looks like a keystone and it has Hebrew writing on it. Mm. Okay. So he found this stone and a few people gave him grief, said that he made it up and all this stuff. And he's like, no, it's, it's real. And he actually went down to the Cincinnati newspaper and did an article about it. And people were really ragging on him about it saying, how can there be Hebrew writing on a stone you found in Ohio? And he's like, I found it. So and a, and a keystone, just for the listeners, would be something that would be. It's sort of like a wedge shape. Like if you typically, look, typically at goes at the pinnacle of an archway, right? Yeah, exactly. But the strange thing about this one is there's a like a notch on the top that you can wrap like a rope or something around, uh -huh. which makes it almost like a pendulum. Oh. Uh -huh. Okay. But this had Hebrew writing on it. And a lot of the people said, well, no, that's a Native American. But the thing is, back, um, even when William Penn came over or, or was in Ohio, I should say, he said that he was so familiar with the Native Americans that he could easily imagine himself in the Jewish quarter of London. What? Yeah. William Penn said that. So... This is where I'm going really woo-woo on you. I believe that a lot of the uh, mounds were built by the lost tribes of the Israelites. Okay? Because there are so many stones found in the Ohio area that have Hebrew writing on them. Is that, okay? is that is the building of mounds, is that something you can trace back to Hebrew culture? Yes. Uh-huh. Interesting. Um, yeah, even in the Bible, uh, in Second Kings, there's a verse that says they built them in high places, mounds in all their cities. So the Hebrews actually build mounds to do their preaching and their business off of. Okay. And if you go to the coast of Cyprus, you'll actually see mounds that look like the mounds we, that we have here still to this day. Okay. So David Wyrick, being an amateur archaeologist, they there's a mound down in Newark, Ohio. It's not there anymore because they actually used the stones from it to um, – there's a, a reservoir down there, and they made a wall with all the stones they took off the Great Stone Mound. They said that they hauled away 10,000 cartloads of stones. I heard of that, yeah. Okay. Under that mound, they 
they found that there was like a clay basin. Okay. But while they were digging it, they took out all the stones. Dave Weirich went back and his exact words were, I want to see if it holds water, which I don't know why he said that, but you'll find that when they cut away a lot of these mounds, the way that they're built, they usually put clay or something on the bottom and then build up different types of dirt to hold up the different heights of the mounds. And so there's no erosion. Yeah. Well, he went to the location of the Great Stone Mound, and it, right now it's I-70 because they tore it out and built I-70 over it. But he went to there, and he started digging, and he found a coffin of a giant under this mound. So we know that the Great Stone Mound was a burial mound. In that coffin, he opened it up, and there was a skeleton of large proportion, as he puts it, and it actually had copper bracelets, and it also had like a burial cloth. I don't know if it was exactly a burial cloth, but it had a burial cloth on it. Huh. And he wanted to preserve this, but the minute he touched the bones, they disintegrated. Okay, so he moved the coffin. Now, think about this. The Native Americans did not bury their dead in coffins. Right. I think it was an older culture that did that. And if you look at a lot of the older cultures that they find burials from, they usually have like bracelets and jewelry on them. Yeah. And it's usually common. Mm -hmm. So David Weirich got a bunch of people together and they started digging. They removed the coffin underneath the coffin. They found a little coffin about, I'd say three inches wide by about six inches tall by about three inches or so. And when they picked it up, it rattled. Now there's different stories that say that one of his men blew on it and came apart or they broke it open. But inside that, inside this little box, they found a little stone box was what they call the Decalogue stone. Okay. And this is a black onyx stone. And I know your listeners can't see it, but I have a copy of it here, and I can show you uh, somehow on the camera. Yeah. This is called the Decalogue Stone, okay? And you'll see that on the front, there's a person carved into it, mm -hmm. okay? Above the person is Hebrew writing that says Moshe. This is Moses, okay? Huh. All along this stone... It's hard to see in the camera, but yeah. your list obviously you're listening. But I'll, I can send you pictures so yeah, you can put yeah. them in the show notes. But all along this stone is Hebrew writing, and it's old style block Hebrew writing that hasn't been used in a thousand years or so. And what it says on here is the Ten Commandments. So you think, how did he find a giant skeleton in a casket in Newark, Ohio? and then find a stone underneath it that they call the Decalogue stone. So, and so go ahead, draw, draw the, draw the, uh, draw the line from point A to point B to point C of, of what you're talking about here. Honestly, I think that the mounds were built by the lost tribe of the Israelites when they came over, was it 2000, maybe 2500 years ago? They left Israel, 
and they had to go somewhere. And it's just ironic that we're finding all these stones around Ohio and Tennessee that have Hebrew writing on them. And there are stones, um, I wish I could have looked it up. I forgot the name, but there's stones in these woods in Ohio where there, there were hikers going through and they found this stone. No big deal. Yeah, it's just a stone. And there was carvings on it and they couldn't figure out what it was. And as they looked at it more, they found out that it was Hebrew letters. Okay. Now we talk about mounds and we believe that the Israelites built mounds, which they, in their culture, they did. In Ohio, if you go down to, if I can find it right, my, my notes here. Okay. Fayette, Ohio, right at the corner where Route 30 and Route 50 come together. If you look on Google Maps, there's a field right where 30 and 50 come together. In that field, you'll see some lines, okay? And when they built these mounds, like if you go to the Great Circle in New York, Ohio, you'll notice that all the dirt that they used to make the mound was scooped up right next to the mound. So they had to use the dirt to build these mound. If you look on Google Maps and go to Fayetteville, Ohio, right where 30 and 50 to come together, you see a cornfield. In that cornfield, you'll see some lines. Those are the ditches that they got the dirt out of to build a mound next to what was there. And that mound or those ditches actually are a Hebrew letter. And it's the letter shine or sign. And I'm not positive what it means, but it's the letter shine or sheen is also pronounced and it's clearly visible. Okay. And you think, well, wait a minute, why would there be just a random field with grooved lines in it for ditches. Well, next to that, in 1824, Major Isaac uh, Roberto, it's hard to pronounce his name, last name's R-O-B-E-R-D-A-U, he mapped out a large mound that he found, a mound structure that he found right next to that. And his map, when he got finished with it, is actually a oil lamp, and a menorah in the mound structure. So we talk about like serpent mound as a, as an effigy mound. Yeah. This was an effigy, effigy mound of a oil lamp and a menorah. Really? And like I said, I'll send you pictures after I forgot to send you the pictures before the show. Now forgive, but, um, forgive my ignorance on, yeah. on these mounds, but anytime I've ever heard about um, serpent mounds and burial mounds, I've always made that association in my head. I've always made the association that this was stuff that was from the native Americans, first yeah. nations cultures. Mm -hmm. And what you're telling me is that's not the case uh, is, I mean, obviously um, first nations did, did create mounds and use them for yeah. burials. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So do you, I mean, is, are there any numbers available or is there, um, you know, how, what's I guess you know like a percentage wise or something as far as there's there's a ton of mounds throughout North America uh, mm -hmm. do we have any idea you know what what percentage of these mounds are being found out to be something other than Native American it's hard to tell but mounds like that which are 
clearly a menorah and an oil lamp as a mound structure. That one there really sticks out in my mind because the Native Americans wouldn't do that unless they were descendants of the Lost Tribe. Now, it's also said that the Indians, um, the local Indians had no knowledge of why and who built the mounds. If you go and you ask some of the tribal chiefs and everything, they will tell you they were here when we came. So, but I knew, do know they used them. I mean, that's an obvious thing. I, I just watched a story today about a mound complex down in southern Indiana or Illinois, excuse me, southern Illinois, down by the Ohio River, which was a huge complex. And you can go there now. I don't have the name of it wrote down, but you can go there now, and it's a preserved site where they can show you the mound. And the thing about that mound is it's a step pyramid mound. And they believe that when a chief died, the next chief took over and built another section on the mound so he could be higher than the last chief. But the strange thing about that is they figured out that the houses there, I mean, this is a huge complex, like thousands of people live there. And I wish I would have wrote down the name of it, but you can look it up. It's Southern uh, Illinois, but the shape of that, is actually kind of looks like the same shape as the Mayan temples and the Mayan pyramids down there. I think they had the same. I think Lynn Carter might have been mentioning this in one really? of our interviews. Okay. Yeah. So I looked at that because you know how Jen mentioned about the pirates. There's yeah. actual a city in southern Illinois called um, Cave in Rock, Illinois. And we want to keep, we want to go back there because that is a very haunted location where the pirates were on the Ohio river. And I looked that up. I'm like, it's, it's like a two hour drive from where that mounds are. But you know, if we're doing a road trip someday, I'd love to get down there. But yeah, I do. It's so bizarre because you have these effigy mounds and a lot of them are gone. Now the serpent mound is still there. And I've got my thoughts on that too, but that one there, I really do think that the Native Americans built that one, What's just because of their culture. It wouldn't be unusual though for a culture to come and inhabit a a place where another culture had been and mm-hmm. maybe is no longer. I mean, you have you know, especially a lot if of, they were nomadic. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like I say, and we definitely know that the Native Americans used the mounds for burials and stuff like that because they have um, artifacts that they found in the mounds. And like Jen said, maybe they're just, I don't want to say copying, but, you know, maybe they knew that these were holy places. So they used them for their holy places also. Are there any mounds that you're aware of that have been excavated where when the excavation began, they found Native American remains. Oh but, yeah, but as a lot of them. but as they continued to go deeper, they found remains that did not match up with Native American. There are some mounds. Let me. Sorry, I got to get my notes out here again. Uh, where are we at? Where are we at? Uh, there's a couple of mounds 
like the Grave Creek Mound in Virginia. They started working on that and found Hebrew lettering on rocks. Really? And the Pinnacle Mound in Connecticut, same thing. So I'm maybe, I'm not positive, but maybe that is where they found some when they started digging and found Native American, then they found other stones. Now, an interesting one, too, is it's called the Back Creek Stone. And that was found in Tennessee. And for years, they had this Back Creek Stone, and it was in a museum. And they were like, well, this is Native American writing because it looks like Native American writing. And one day, a person came into the museum and said, uh, why is that upside down? And they're like, what do you mean? Like, it's upside down. And they flipped it over. He says, this is Hebrew writing. So listen, you can look that up, too. It's called the Back Creek Stone. That's really interesting. This, this is a turn I was not expecting. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you're like a little puzzled. Yeah. <laughs> like, am I believing this stuff? Yeah, that's interesting. Know. You know, and when David Irick or Wyrick found the Newark Holy Stones, everybody said they were fake, that he planted them so that he could get publicity. But when he found the second one, he wasn't alone. The first one, when he found the keystone, it was him and his son, and they found it. I don't know the exact reason why they found it, but he was an amateur archaeologist. He was looking for stuff. And it was, ah, if I can remember right, it was like a year later that they took that great stone mound out and used the stones for the reservoir. And he took like 12 people and used that, you know, as a crew to dig under that because he knew that it's a great opportunity because there was a a mound that was different than every other mound. It was made of stone. And this thing was huge, you know, 10,000 cartloads of stone out of it. And if you go down to the reservoir right now, the, the stones are still there as a wall. So... Who knows? I mean, like, like I say, who knows if this is true or not, but it's so bizarre. And they're finding these, uh, Patrick or I want to say petroglyph. Is that right? These carvings all over the place. Um, I just found out about a cave in Michigan. Now I need to look into this more because I tried to find information on it and it's so hard with the internet but I want to talk to a few people. Everything's on the internet. You can find it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They found a cave in Michigan that had a carving of a menorah in the cave. And the Potawatomi tribe said that it was carved by their ancestors. So I don't know much about that one. I need to look into that one. But we're finding stuff all over the place. By saying that, are they... Are they making the are they making the statement that they're descendants of? Well, see, that's the thing. Like when I was saying about um uh what was the name? What's his name? Where's that? Where's that? William Penn. Now I don't know who William Penn really was. I know there's a lot of things about him. And but he was in there talking to David Wyrick, I guess, and his statement was he was with the Indians and he was so familiar with the Indians or I shouldn't say that, he was so familiar with the native Americans that he could easily see himself in the Jewish 
Jewish quarter of London. So their features, I don't know what a Jewish person really looks like, but I mean, their features look Jewish to him. So were they the descendants? Were the Native Americans here descendants of them? We don't know, but it's just there's a lot of stuff that points to the lost tribe of the Israelites being in Ohio and the Pennsylvania and Kentucky area. That is so bizarre. There's a show, um, Unearthed America, I believe. And while I was watching one of the episodes of that, and the guy that is on there, you know, he always says the, the history that we were taught in schools is not true. And he's there to find out. And he did an episode where he found these stones with the writing on them. And there's one in Pennsylvania they went to, and then there's one in Ohio. And the guys that he was with were finding these stones in alignment. And they're like, we know that if we go that way, we'll find another stone. And sure enough, they did. So I don't know what these alignments were, but they're finding these stones with carvings on them of Hebrew writing. Eric, have you ever heard heard the report of, um, I believe it was in Wisconsin where they found, it was, I think it was in the middle of a farmer's field where they found some Viking artifacts. Yes. So, you know, who's to say that, you know, other races and cultures just weren't here long before we were all here. Yeah. And they could have been a very tall race of people. Well, you know, uh, I forget the the gentleman's name. Uh, him and his, him and one of his partners have been on Joe Rogan's podcast uh, numerous times, um, but they they talk about the Great Resets. Yeah, and the flood twelve thousand years ago. Yeah, I I firmly Graham Hancock. Graham Hancock. Yep, I and, I, uh, I firmly uh, I firmly believe that there have been uh, numerous resets throughout our history which would explain some of the um, the the challenging architecture and, and that we see in some of these monolithic temples and, and stuff like that that we just don't understand how they were done. You know, I mean, you have a reset and, I don't know, let's take, for instance, you know, our, our present day, you know, up until, let's say, 6,000 years ago, you know, we, we find ourselves on a path and that path, uh, throughout evolution and our, our gaining of more knowledge and our understanding of geom- geometry and, and specific ways of building things and use of tools and stuff like that have led to our present day looking the way that it does. The, the anatomy of our, our houses and our buildings and our, our large structures. You know, who's to say that, you know, before that, before that reset, you know, we, we made that same journey, only the the development was different. Our, our influences mm-hmm. were different. We decided uh, f- through whatever manner, we, we designed different types of tools. We used uh, our, our ideas of architecture were different. And, you know, so I, I do think there is something behind the, the resets. Uh, it, that, that is something that resonates quite quite well with me. Yeah. You know, and think about, like, I mentioned about Tiwakan. I think that's how you pronounce it. I can never yeah, say that word. Yeah. The reliefs cut out. Now, this 
city, I guess you want to call it, or this area, was buried on purpose. Yeah. And they know it was on purpose. It wasn't uh, like a big wave of of uh, sand come in and buried it. They know that this was buried on purpose. And the tools that they would have had to have to make the relief cuts is beyond what we can think of. Now, we think of 12,000 years ago, these primitive people would use copper chisels and, you know, even like to build the pyramids, they said that they used copper tools. If you were to use copper on stone, yeah, it would work, but you'd destroy so many chisels that you'd have to have more chisels (laughs) than people to make them. Okay. And the thing about like Tiwakan is when they cut out their reliefs, they didn't cut into the stone. They cut the stone away and left the relief sticking out. Yeah. You know, sort of like the Newark Holy Stone is cut in. Well, imagine if the wall had a thing sticking out of it, which was alligators, hippos. So you're removing you know, everything else but the but the figure. And think of the technology you'd have to have. I firmly believe that before the reset, they had technology that was just as good as us or better. But time is such a long, it's so long that nothing's going to last except for stone. Right. And And they buried that on purpose for some reason. And like Graham Hancock talks about the great flood, they believe that there was a meteor that came down and hit the ice sheet, which caused a worldwide flood. Now there's, Evidence of that, you know, like um, if you look at Niagara Falls, how it's curved, uh-huh. there's evidence in other places where there's giant curves like that that are so big they have no idea how it happened. And there's, you know, like when you look at the the bottom of a river, how you have those ripples, there's actually places out west, I believe, that have those ripples, but they're like 100 feet tall. And, yeah. you know, the width between them is like a mile. You know, I don't know. It's yeah, it's it, all when you, when, you look at mean, it, when you look at it from a a substantial elevation above it, mm-hmm. it looks just like what you would be looking down at if you were at the beach, looking yeah. into four or five inches of water, where you have yeah. the 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 rippled sand mm-hmm. from the uh, from the waves of the water. Yeah, and like I say, I don't know. This is all conjecture, and you know, just by looking at things. It's, I don't want maybe not say guessing, but we don't know. It's theory. Yeah, it's theory. And maybe when I get a past life regression, I'll find out, you know, they'll say, oh, you were the one that knocked that corner out that made the worldwide (laughs) flood. (laughs) Well, you know, you you were talking about the, uh, the stone reliefs and everything. And, you know, how did they, how did they remove that large amount of, of, of rock and have it look so smooth and so polished and, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do think that, you know, prior civilizations technology was, had to have been, had to have taken a different route than what our current yeah. technology did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, this keeps coming to my mind. It's a, it's a video that I saw it's on YouTube. Um, and 
this guy isn't making any like crazy claims and it's not any kind of a conspiracy or, you know, some kind of a ultra secret type of weapon or anything like that. Basically what the guy did was he took a, um, took the, the screen off of an old 52 or 54 inch projection TV that was no longer any good. He built a frame for the, for the lens and he put it on two sticks with a um, hinge on it where he could move it and rotate it. And then he put it out in the sun <laughs> and he focused it on a stone oh. on, on, a, on a fairly good size rock. I would say hmm. it wasn't a boulder, but you know, it, probably a good 25 pound rock. And in seconds of the sun hitting that rock through that magnifying lens, which was only plastic. I mean, it was, it was a piece of plastic. He started to break into that rock with pure sunlight. And, you know, there were, the rock was popping and sizzling and, and Hmm. chunks of it were, were popping off. Yeah. As it, as it hit it, you know, and it, I was like, holy crap. You know, if, if an ancient culture could have in whatever way created a piece of glass or, um, of something that they could focus, harness the sun's light, you know, this, this could be an explanation for how they were able to achieve some of the, um, the stonework yeah. that, sure. yeah. I don't know. Like you said, it's all theory and conjecture, but yeah. I mean, look at those walls that they, that you see, and it looks like the stones were all melted into place. You know, how can you have that many different stones that look like they're melted and put together in different shapes? Yeah. And you can't even slide a piece of paper through it. And they lasted for thousands of years. So their technology had to be better. I don't know how, but you know, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's no, <laughs> I feel like an alien today. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, it's just, it, the, like we keep saying, the more you dig into this, the more you learn. Well, before I let you, you know, guys go, one more thing, yeah. as far as the mounds are concerned, are, are there, a, is there a difference when we talk about a serpent mound? And now I know, you know, obviously there's a, uh, aesthetically there's a difference. They look different. Mm-hmm. Um, but are there, is there a difference in the, uh, the purposefulness of it, uh, the representation of it? What, you know, what's the difference between a, a typical native of, uh, native American burial mound, which, mm-hmm. which is another thing I wanted to tell, tell you is that, you know, some 25, 30 years ago, um, probably 15 minutes from where I live, there is a, um, there's an area that it's kind of a little bit out in the boonies. There, there's still houses and stuff, but there's a section that, um, 25, 30 years ago, a, um, a development company was trying to purchase the, the land to build a neighborhood. And, there were signs out there for a long time that, you know, this, this neighborhood was coming and then all of a sudden the signs were gone and a fence had been put up 
And then there was a, a drive gate that um, has black and yellow uh, tape on it. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty substantial gate, to be honest. Um, and it's locked. Well, the talk started to be around that, that on that property off of uh, Bertrand Road that they had found a, a burial mound. Mm-hmm. And they weren't going to allow the uh, the development company to to build on the land. So that happens. Yeah. So, um, like the cone shaped mounds were generally burial mounds, but the ones that were shaped in like in Ohio, the serpent mound that has like the snake, like those were more effigy type mounds. And, and the difference being. One was used for burial and one was used for yeah. ritual. And like the mounds down there in Southern Illinois, they know that those giant mounds that were there and they're still there. You can go up and go and walk on top of them. That wasn't a burial mound, but that was where the chief did all his business. And they said that when on the top of the mound, there was actually a building. And then when the chief died, I think now, I can't remember, but I think they buried the chief in that mound and then made another level on top of that. And that's why it's so big nowadays. Mm. So it was kind of like both. But Forgive me for asking this because this might be completely out of my ass. Um, But I want to say, going back to the conversation I had with uh, Sherilyn Carter about that um, Southern Illinois, is is part of that area referred to or, or known as um, like little Jerusalem or something. Ooh, I don't know about that. I'll have to find out about that. I, I swear, yeah, I swear that's what she was telling me. That hmm. there, that there was something, that there was something about that area that when you stood on the mound and you looked out at it was, was reminiscent of, I want to say she, you know, I'm, I may be putting words into my own head right now because we're talking yeah. so much Hebrew stuff, <laughs> but I, I, I almost swear that there was something about little Jerusalem. Hmm. I'm going to have to find out about that. I know we do a lot of conferences with Cheryl. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to pull her aside and say, Hey, come here, let's talk. Which is a great yeah. segue to end the show. Yeah. Because we're all going to be gathering again together as, uh, yep. as friends and cohorts at, uh, the end of this month on the 30th in Chelsea, Michigan at the 2022 Michigan Bigfoot conference. Yep. Which is going to be awesome. Yes. Amazing. Can't wait. Looking forward to seeing you guys in person. Maybe you'll have a drink yes. with me this time instead of blowing me off for your, your, your other <laughs> buddies. Rockstar buddies. Yeah. That just showed up on nowhere. It's a, a big, what the hell's You're a big, mine. <laughs> and, the whole Newark, Newark Holy Stones will be in the house. Oh, really? I will have them here. Nice. Of course, they're the fake ones, but the real ones are priceless. I, they won't let me touch those. Those are at the Johnson Hel- Johnson Herrick, Herrick Museum. How do I say that, Jen? Johnson Herrick Museum in Coshocton, Ohio. But, um, yeah, I'll have the Newark Holy Stones, and we'll introduce you to our mascot. You guys have oh, a yeah. mascot now? You got a mascot now. Who is your mascot? I don't have a we mascot. Have, tell them. I'm going to 
pop off here real quick and go get it so I can show them. Go ahead and tell okay. them all about it. All right. So Joe and I, you know, we love strange and unusual things. So we uh, found this artifact at uh, a yard sale of this antique dealer. And Joe went back three times and was looking at it and looking at it. And he's like, I have got to have this. It is. Can't really see it very good. It's real human hair and a real baby's blanket in this. Um, what would you call it, Joe? Just a. It's like a shadow box. It's a shadow oh. box, and yeah. what they say. Now I don't What's know what your... you said because I've oh, I had my headphones off, but it's a baby with real hair her real clothing in a frame and it's very creepy. That is creepy. Yeah, shit. it's very creepy. I got a lot. Um wait till we see it in person. It's, yeah, it's we, yeah, more creepy in person. We'll let you hold it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see if you get any vibes off of it. <laughs> but uh we were at Parasicon at the Ohio State Reformatory and we had it propped up behind our booth on a chair and so many people walk Dalen from Ghost Brothers walked by. He's like, damn, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> that is creepy. Yeah. Everybody says it's creepy, but cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, any chance you guys are going to be uh, heading out my way, maybe around September 10th or anything? for So that we can do something like uh, have some brews and talk about Bigfoot? Yeah. What would what would be a good name for that? Um, Bigfoot and Bruise. Bigfoot. I and love bruise. it. Bigfoot and Bruise. Uh, yeah, bruises when you drink too much and you're Bigfoot hunting in the woods and you're falling down <laughs> a lot, so you get bruises. So Ooh. shameless shameless plug for uh, my event Heck coming yeah. up September 10th, Bigfoot and Bruise. That's in Dewajack, Michigan. September 10th. Tickets are on sale now. Limited capacity. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be a bit more of an intimate uh, um, environment to uh, hear the likes of uh, Ron Moorhead talk about Sierra Sounds. We're going to have uh, Michigan investigator James Lady talk about some of the sound recordings that he's managed to come up with uh, throughout the state of Michigan. And uh, mm-hmm. Val Zalvala from uh, Michigan Bigfoot Report and Data. He'll be there as well. And, uh, one of my, one of my premier shows, uh, probably the highest listened to episode I have yet opening day, gentleman from Southwestern Michigan here who had a actual Bigfoot walk right out in front of him uh, about eight years ago on, on opening day while he was hunting, uh, with his father, his brother-in-law and a family friend. So he'll be making his first uh, public appearance talking about his experience. Now, the interesting thing about his story is the the place where this took place, the hunting property where this took place, is about as a crow flies, maybe 30 minutes from the location of where we're having this Bigfoot conference. Yeah. And oh, very cool. the swamp system, the swamp where he had the Bigfoot walk out in front of him, the swamp system extends from Jones, Michigan, all the way over to Sister Lakes, Michigan, which is where the brewery is at. So there's kind of a connection there. 
Now, what's really unique, really, really unique about this is that back in 1964, the Dewey Lake Monster was uh, gained national notoriety over the summer of 1964, starting in early June. There were multiple reports of a, uh, for the most part, the, the descriptions of this creature were very much that of a Bigfoot. And this small, this small community was uh, besieged by monster hunters and, and people wanting to, to get a glimpse at this thing. So um, the brewery we're having the conference at is mere minutes away from the, ri- the original sightings were. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be basically having a Bigfoot conference in honor of the Dewey Lake monster uh, from 1964. So we're going to try to tie it all together with good food, good beer. And it's actually the only place. Sister Lakes Brewery is the name of the brewery. Sister Lakes Brewing Company, I'm sorry, is the name of the brewery that we're going to be at. And that is actually the only place that you can get the Dewey Lake Monster IPA. Oh, so, yeah. So Sounds delicious. Need to come out there just for that. So for sure. Anybody interested, hey. please go over to bigfootandbrews.com. All the information is there. Tickets are on sale. They're going fast. So please, if you're interested in it, get your tickets and, uh, if you're interested in being a vendor, you can also hit the vendors tab there, fill out the application, pay the vendor's fee, and you can be a part of it as well. The unique thing about this is there are no conference rooms. So everyone in attendance, whether you are a vendor or a paid attendee, you will be in the same area where the speakers are speaking. Nice. So nobody's missing out on anything. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a big plus for this, I think. And the lineup of speakers is just unbelievable. Yeah. You can find a better group of people to talk about Bigfoot because they're experiencers and they're very knowledgeable about it. And the nice thing about it is, you know, for the most part, I mean, other than Ron Moorhead, who is, you know, I I mean, I could go on for hours about him. He's just an amazing guy. Um, All the rest of the people that are going to be part of the program are from Michigan. You know, and and the vast majority of the experiences that they've had have all taken place in Michigan. So um, it's it's going to be a very I don't know. I guess it's you know as far as Bigfoot conferences are concerned, this would kind of be a niche uh, uh, mm-hmm. thing, you know. But uh, we're looking forward to it, and I think uh, I think the turnout's going to be just fine, and we're going to have a great afternoon. Cool. Might even go into the evening. Yeah, might even go into the and next stay, day. Stay a weekend because, <laughs> like me, I want to get over to St. Joseph and check that out. So oh, I'm going to go to the, go to the Bigfoot show and then go to the beach. Yep. There you go. And while you're beach. there, if you want to go to the beach, yep. uh, there's a great pizza place right there at, at Silver <laughs> Beach. Oh my god, mm. amazing, amazing pizza, really good. So, cool. All right, but we want to thank you so much. It's yeah, such an honor to be on the show. We had a blast. I love and talking to you guys, man. You guys are great. Yeah. Next thank time you. we'll just talk about Bigfoot, and it's going to be a six-hour show. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. <laughs> we'll make it a fifteen-parter. <laughs> yeah. All right. The series, Eric, Joe, and Jen talk Bigfoot <laughs> till That's you puke. Awesome. 
<laughs> Joe, Joe and Jen Shortridge, uh, thank you so much for being on the show, guys. You yeah. guys are great. Can't oh, wait to see you here in a week. And yeah. uh, I appreciate you guys. Thank okay, you. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate being on. Good night. Bye, guys. I want to hear your story. I want to hear your experience. So email me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, then leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Share the show with your friends. Share the show on social media. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. All at Uncomfortable Podcast. And until next week, my friends, stay uncomfortable.